0: Oh, one.
1: We're back. Welcome to NMmu episode thirty six. I think, yeah, thirty six. Excited to have you back. Appreciate the listens. Like we said, I lied last time. A little bit of a white lie. I've been checking, you know, analytics, just to kind of get a sense of where the players are coming from, and you know, you know, sort of where to make improvements. You know, you get such specific, you know, data back in analytics. Anyway, it's a new week, we're in a new month, big shout out to my sister today, it's her birthday, I don't want to date it, but by the time this comes out, you know, we're in August, Um, it's her birthday, I'm so proud of her, big shout out to her, she lives in Cape Town, I'm going to come visit you soon babes, and we're going to run it up. (laughs) On today's weekly, we have Tinder turns 10. And that's a story from The Guardian, you know, me being a person. I mean, I'll get into it after I play the clip um, about Tinder. Texts go green. This is a, a piece of audio from The Hustle Daily. It's just about the ongoing battle between iPhone and Android around blue and green texts. I didn't know it was a thing till I listened. Um, the next thing that we're going to be going through is the FBI raid on Mar-a-Lago. Usually, I'm also the person who doesn't care about politics and that kind of thing, but Donald Trump is one of the most interesting people ever, just in terms of tomfoolery. And, you know, when you get into the details of why the raid happened and, you know, how Donald Trump was sort of treating, how do you call it, um, confidential um, documents and information, (laughs) What a wild guy. The fact that he still could be president again is probably one of the scariest things ever. But hopefully all these revelations that constantly come out, you know, ruin that brand or whatever is left of it. And then still in America, the story about the Sandy Hook, um, the Sandy Hook murders, or rather Alex Jones, the guy who for years, you know, spent time and energy, you know, talking about how it was fake and how... It was paid actors. People lost children, and then this guy went on a campaign, you know, to kind of just, I don't know, throw mud on that. Um, he deserves everything that's coming to him. But you know, the revelation of the lawyer having had sent um, emails to the opposing side—it's almost like, it's almost like you feel like this guy's such an asshole that even his own team were like, you know what? Let's get this guy caught because like this is just not okay um vacationing in the time of covid another one that i just wanted to you know sort of delve into i'm not traveling at the moment you know send me money (laughs) send me plane tickets we'll come um but it's interesting for those that are i've I've been interested to know what it's like on the road testing quarantining etc um but yeah we'll get into that and then last but not least sleep paralysis so I listened Mm -hmm. to this podcast called Are You Sleeping obviously in the you know in the the quest to try and improve the quality of sleep I have Um, and this one is specifically on sleep paralysis I just want to put this here as like a primer for people like me who didn't know what sleep paralysis was or rather know how to explain it and also you know like we said in the previous episode once the data changes you change your mind you know you, you maybe be be able to help somebody that's gone through the same thing, you know, or even be able to just notice it. And for me, it's like, what do you do when you re- realize either you or somebody that's close to you, a loved one, has sleep paralysis? And how do you help them, you know? So excited for you guys to enjoy this episode. Um, thank you so much for listening. And actually, as we're on that, but I have to pull up a different beat, actually. To be able to illustrate this (laughs) because this is the most beautiful thing and this is also like um an example of you know why you should keep working because in the end somebody out there is listening somebody out there will notice you but let me just get this um let me just make sure that this plays the right way (laughs) you're listening to nmmu the potter okay so here's a crazy story, guys. <laughs> so we get to this party. I'm rolling with my boy, Fez. It's um, the launch of something. We're always going to different parties. So it's a launch of this new place called La Parada. Cool. We pull up. Obviously, we link up the man. Them Dap here, dap there. We even see some girls that, like, you know you've met. Some girls that, like, did the boyfriend reveal. Some girls that freaking, like... You know, are not replying to texts anymore. Texts don't go green anymore. They don't go blue anymore. (laughs) So, yeah, so we're in the space or whatever. And then I'm getting a drink. So I notice another friend of ours, uh, Fez. So I'm standing with two Fez's right now. And Fez says to me, yo, I'm really enjoying the pod. I'm like, what? What do you mean you're enjoying the pod? He's like, yeah, dog. I didn't know you were such a nerd. Fam, please understand. Fez, who I have, like, Mad respect for, known him a long time, one of the most genuine dudes, comes and says that to me, yo, gassed. We're running this up, more episodes, deeper, you know, and just, he spoke to opportunities that maybe can exist because of the level of consistency. So all I'm saying to you is, don't sleep on yourself. And also it's like that clip I might actually play, you know that clip where Tyler's like, how do you not put on your own shit, dog? Like, how are you shy? on putting on your own shit so don't forget that excuse the profanity so yeah crazy story you know anyway we we linked up at the bar we had the chat whatever you know we had a good night the rest of the night but you know for me crazy story i'm gonna do this actually it's a new feature crazy story anyway you're listening to nmmu episode 36 which is even 37 at this point, uh, <laughs> um, But y'all, let's get into all the stories.
2: Just a quick warning before we start. This episode does talk about sex, and so it might not be suitable for everyone. It was so novel at first. You, your phone and an app that promised to serve you endless romantic and or sexual possibilities and the instant gratification that came when you got a match.
3: I first used Tinder in 2012 and I remember my friends showing me it. Um, We were in my friend's bedroom and they were like, look at this funny app. (laughs) And they were both scrolling on it. I'm like, no,
4: no,
5: no. I think the, the thing that I enjoyed most about it was I was living with a friend and we'd sort of be able to sit on the sofa, you know, looking very much as I do now, roast coffee,
2: being able to meet boys. <laughs> Tinder connected you to people within a reasonable distance around you. You didn't have to approach anyone in real life and be rejected. You could swipe through the menu and pretty much order up someone with mutual interests. Sometimes it went really well, and you thought you'd found what you were looking for.
0: I met a nice lady, she was pretty well-educated, she had a very high-powered job, so we went on in quite a nice first date, a wine bar, something along those lines, and we had a kiss at the end of the night.
2: And sometimes it didn't, and you'd be left with just the story.
0: So. We arranged a second date shortly after, and it was a nice uh, cheese and wine night, quite sophisticated. And towards the end of the evening, she said, hey, why don't you come back to my place, which which sounded good. I was happy to. Until shortly after, and she said, why don't you give two or three of your friends a call cool, and they can come and join in as well. Uh, I politely declined and intend to see her again.
2: When we asked people to share their dating app experiences, there were plenty of bad dates to talk about. I've had some very odd experiences, and there was this one guy who was desperate to be a slave, um, which everyone at my work found quite funny.
5: There were just certain times where I felt a bit gutted that I'd given up maybe a Friday or Saturday night to meet certain people, having my housemate on standby to be like, Emily, hey, we've had a leak from upstairs, and you need to get home immediately. But also, Lots of good ones.
6: I only went on maybe like two or three dates with some
7: people who let's say didn't gel very well with and then went on a fourth date.
6: And eight years later, and we're getting married on Saturday.
2: The apps have opened up our dating opportunities, but what have they done to our psyche? How have they shifted how we understand modern love, sex, and relationships? From The Guardian, I'm not sure. What
1: a good-ass episode. You know, Tinder turns 10, which is crazy, okay? I don't even know where to start on this one. I remember just being so judgmental of, like, Tinder in the beginning. When I first heard about it, I'd be like, why would you need an app to meet people, you know? Like, go out and just, like, party, grab a drink, talk to somebody. But it's not, like, as easy for everyone. And also, I was speaking about at least a generation that had, like, half in real life and half online, as opposed to maybe the generations that exist now where, you know, the majority of your time is spent online. So it's almost like an easier next, easier extension rather to just kind of be looking for relationships in the same space you're shopping your um, sharing content, etc. But yeah, Tinder t- turns 10 years old. You know I've never I've never gotten Tinder back. I'm really close with Seppo and like when we were in agency, you know, that's what w- it, w- it was like brand new almost. So people used to talk about used to talk about matches, how many matches they got, you know, Tinder dates gone well and some gone bad. So I've never gone back. I probably had it for a week back in like 20, 20, I don't know, 2014, you know? Anyway, Tinder Turns 10, a really good, you know, episode. Also, they just speak about other dating apps, you know, because obviously, you know, it's about sex and there's kinks. So apps like Field, Bumble, you know, every different app, you know, has their sort of specifications or requirements. Um, you know, fast forward, obviously, you know, when the data changes, I change my mind. I have Raya now. And I don't want to speak too much about Raya. And, you know, you've heard what people have to say. What I will say is it's expensive <laughs> for the for the opportunity to network. Um, I think Raya is probably the one, in this episode, they describe it as self-aggrandizing. And I get it because everyone on rise is important. And maybe that's why connections are so, or sees self importance in themselves. And maybe that's why connections aren't happening so naturally, but there are super hot people on there. And, you know, it's cool to be able, especially cause I got it just getting out of the pandemic, um, the lockdowns and that. And it was cool to just be able to be meeting people that live in other countries whilst nobody can move you know and sort of just sharing i mean i spoke to one lady here's a little flex i spoke to one lady who i won't name but during the time kendrick was in ghana i mean i remember watching her stories and seeing kendrick in her stories and thinking jesus dude where are you and then you know obviously subsequently she's like yeah i'm in ghana and i'm not sure where she works but i guess she works in music right but how sick like that's the, that's one way to look at the power of Raya. And I'm sure, you know, for people who are looking for more, like, love and that kind of thing, um, I'm sure there have been good and bad stories there. But I don't see dating apps going anywhere. Let's say Raya's, like, Soho House and, you know, um, the rest are, like, you know, not as nice as Soho House, but, you know, they also do or give the same sort of service. So definitely listen to this, especially if you've used any of these dating apps. Um, Tinder turns 10. That's huge. Uh, A tech company, basically, that got involved in love. Um, Really great listen. Uh, I hope you enjoy it too. We're still here. Run it up.
7: All right, Juliet. So let's get into this whole text message thing. For anyone who might not be familiar with this whole green-blue text problem, like what is exactly the deal here.
4: Okay. So at the very most obvious level, if you have an iPhone and another iPhone user texts you, mm-hmm. that text message is blue. But if that user does not have an iPhone, let's say they text you with a Samsung or a Google Pixel phone, sure, text message bubble is green. And people joke about that. I've even had people where they ask for my number, I give it to them, I text them and then they're like, Oh, you don't have an iPhone. Like <laughs> that's like a known joke. Yeah. But here's the whole thing. So basically, there are two types of texting tech that are kind of old, short messaging service, that's Mm SMS, and as may be obvious, that is for short text messages, and multimedia messaging service, that's MMS, that allows you to send forms of multimedia as well as text, and they're pretty old. They date back to the 90s in the case of SMS and 2002 in the case of MMS. Hmm. Now, in 2007 abouts, there came along this new form, rich communication services. Now, Android considers this the modern standard. It has all sorts of fun features, many of which you may be familiar with if you have texted on either an Mm -hmm. Android phone or you use iMessage because a lot of those features overlap. There's uh, encryption. You can see if someone's received your message. You can send longer texts. You can send crisp video and images. You can do video calls. You can send documents back and forth, all of that good stuff.
7: Hmm. Okay, that sounds great, but so what is Apple using exactly?
4: So Apple has done what Apple likes to do. It built its own thing, iMessage. Now, iMessage has all of those bells and whistles. You can send big files, share your location info with your friends, and have little group chats. It works over the internet, and it syncs to all your devices, but only if they're Apple products. Now, iMessage doesn't work on anything that isn't an Apple product. So when an Android user texts an iOS user, Apple converts the message back to SMS or MMS.
7: Oh, okay. So those green texts are basically SMS or MMS.
4: Yeah. And it's kind of like they don't really have to be green, but I feel like Apple just wants them to be. So it can be like, look at this loser over here.
7: Yeah. The guy who doesn't have the iPhone. Look at him. Exactly. Uh, And this isn't just like an annoying aesthetic thing like green-blue. It it actually comes with like some pretty substantial problems, right?
4: Right, so basically if you're an Android user or if you're an iPhone user talking to an Android user, you're getting subpar texts. SMS and MSS, they don't always support texting over Wi-Fi, so sometimes you can't receive texts if somebody doesn't have good service. Mm-hmm. The videos and photos you send are pixelated. There's no end-to-end encryption. You can't see if somebody's typing back to you. You don't get the little dot, dot, dot thing that iPhone users get. Yeah. So yeah, it's kind of a subpar experience for everyone unless literally everyone you know uses an iPhone. <laughs>
7: So the news lead here is that Android is making this big push against Apple. They're kind of publicly calling them out. Is that right?
4: That is correct. They're being super passive aggressive about it in a way that I think is kind of fun. And their (laughs) basic thing is like, just add RCS. If you did that, you wouldn't have to boot everybody back to this like 90s, early aughts tech. We would all have an enjoyable experience. You could still have your iMessage. You wouldn't Mm -hmm. have to put iMessage on Android phones. You wouldn't have to make it available to them. You could just switch to the modern standard of texting as the fallback. That is what Android wants. Yeah. And it's got this whole get the message campaign. It's recruiting celebrities. The reason I even saw saw this recently (laughs) was Madeline Pash, who stars on the hit CW teen drama series Riverdale. Yeah, was one of the people that they got to do this. And she had this video on her Instagram where she's like kind of crying and she's like, I'm so sorry. And you think she's going to like come out with getting canceled or something. But then she says, (laughs) for blaming Android users for having text messages. Okay.
7: It's a clever promotional ad. Mm -hmm. So there's also a real tech case for this kind of standardization. It would be safer. Mm -hmm. There's kind of a, a security issue at play where... The current state is not end-to-end encrypted, and that's a big problem. Right. But all of this kind of just makes me wonder, like, why is Apple doing this?
4: Yeah, well, I think we know why. Apple just likes to be really cool and the cool kid in the room. Yeah. Something we've talked about before with their chargers, you know, like, only Apple has this kind of charger, and you got to get the Apple certified one, and it's also Uh. $60 for some reason,
7: (laughs) Yeah. You know, I think everyone suspects Apple of doing these quasi shady things of making you buy their $60 dongles or like changing the charger every couple years, like you said, or just kind of like entrapping you in the Apple ecosystem and forcing you to buy their products. And this whole text thing appears to be another iteration of that. So this isn't just us hypothesizing. A few years back, Apple's senior VP of software engineering actually came out and said this publicly. He said, quote, In the absence of a strategy to become the primary messaging service for the bulk of cell phone users, I am concerned the iMessage on Android would simply serve to remove an obstacle to iPhone families giving their kids Android phones, end quote. So he essentially said out loud, you know, I think it's going to be concerning if we standardize this. because." So
1: I decided to play that entire clip, actually, as opposed to, you know, just playing you guys. Let's say um, a little clip and saying, go listen to the whole thing. That's pretty much the gist of it. I'm not sure if that's what Drake was talking about when he said, um, Text Go Green, you know, but <laughs> I'm gonna have it playing in the back. Let's go. Ah, uh, so anyway, I've always been interested as to why, you know, the text go green from Android users and, you know, being a big, you know, Apple supporter here, I'm in the Apple hive for sure. It's just one of those things where it's like, I hope Apple make way for Android. I'm asking nicely, Tim Cook, you know, because the, at the end of the day, it's just not safer for the people who can't have the chats encrypted or, you know, based on how they were discussing it, you know, all the safety protocols that, that you would have because it's, you know, just you know, more thought out, basically. Um, Interesting story, but also just a continued beef with uh, Android and iPhone. I think until at least I die, that's going to be one of the main beefs that exist. Apple's a trillion dollar company, so they're going nowhere. They're kind of the, you know, the bully with the big stick, because whatever they do is kind of what, the world follows is it three cameras is it two how are they placed screen protector i remember before screen record um i mean uh apple had screen record or ios rather i didn't even want to download an app to screen record i was just waiting you know so they set the trends it's interesting to see how petty it can get um but this is also business i'm a big believer in capitalism um full body contact at a corporate level that makes the lives of you know People that are lower down, way better. That's something I got from Prof Galloway. Um, Big time mentor for me. He just doesn't know it. So yeah, very interesting listen. And I guess following on from Tinder, um, turning 10, it was nice to have this story about Texco Green. All right, we keep running it up. Few more stories to go. Thank you for listening.
6: Maggie, this is about as big as it gets. The FBI searching the home of the former president of the United States. Trump was right, by all accounts, when he called it unprecedented. It has never happened before. And presumably, the FBI understood that it would provoke a ferocious partisan response. So why did the Department of Justice, why did the FBI conduct this search? What was behind it?
8: You're right, Michael, that this was not done lightly. And it came because when Trump left the White House, as We all know very contentiously, at the end of January in 2021, he took with him 15 boxes, Mm -hmm. cardboard boxes, from the White House residence, stuffed with a mishmash of things. Papers, golf balls, a raincoat, I'm told. But in there were documents that belonged to the National Archives. Mm -hmm. National Archives officials need those documents as part of the Presidential Records Act. The National Archives is where those are supposed to live, but they migrated with Trump when he went to Florida. And there was a lengthy back and forth between National Archives officials and Trump's team about getting those boxes back. And that back and forth lasted much of 2021.
6: And just to be clear about this back and forth, the National Archives is saying, hey, perhaps this was a mistake. Perhaps you thought this was memorabilia. But under the law, we need those records in the National Archives. You can't take them. So kindly return them to us.
8: That's exactly right. They were making clear that under the Presidential Records Act, which is a Watergate-era construction, documents that are created by or received by a president related to his or her official duties are supposed to be preserved, no matter how small the president might think they are. Okay, so what ends
6: up happening with these 15 boxes?
8: As we understand it, they were allegedly returned. The archives got the boxes at some point, earlier this year in 2022, when they got the boxes, they started going through what was there and they found many pages of documents marked classified. Hmm. That took this to a different place. Explain that. There are specific rules around the handling of classified material and who can see it and who can look at it and how it can be transported. And the fact that, There were documents marked classified in these boxes, raised all kinds of concerns for federal officials.
6: But Maggie, if Trump returned these documents, what's the big deal?
8: It seems, Michael, he didn't return all the documents. Hmm. We know that in the spring, two things happened. A grand jury started issuing subpoenas related to these documents. And we know that counterintelligence officials went down to Mar-a-Lago to surveil what may have still been there. Hmm. And that is how we arrived at this moment where the FBI went looking for specific pieces of paper on Monday.
6: Maggie, why would Trump so persistently hold on to these documents once it became clear that the government was demanding them back and was even starting to go so far as to empanel a grand jury to get them?
8: So, Michael— Trump had a peculiar relationship with records throughout his entire presidency. Mm. He was known throughout for tearing up pieces of paper that were supposed to be preserved under the Presidential Records Act. Staff repeatedly talked to him about it. It didn't change his behavior. He tore up all manner of documents. People had to follow him around to get them, to retrieve them, to tape them back up. To tape them back up? Tape them back up. In some cases he ripped things up and threw them in the toilet. And they ended up flushed down. And just to be clear, flushing documents down the toilet,
6: that's not legal.
8: It depends what they are, but it's not normal. It's not proper. At minimum, it's not good for the pipes in a, in a pretty <laughs> old building. There were discussions among staff about whether to try to get him to use a burn bag, which is where you put documents that are properly disposed of. But that didn't really work. And Donald Trump has a a decades old disinterest in keeping records and people taking notes. And he has a disregard for the rules that exist around record keeping. And he just refused to change when he became president and Mm -hmm. saw no reason why he would have to. But then there were some pieces of paper that he was fascinated by. So in the Oval Office as president, he would take letters that Kim Jong-un wrote him, And even though these were supposed to be very secret documents, he would wave them around at visitors as if these were a souvenir or a prop, and he would look for their reaction. Those letters were said to be among the cache of documents that made their way to Mm Mar-a-Lago. Other pieces of paper made their way to Mar-a-Lago, but people weren't sure what they were because Trump for months would tell aides to bring things from the Oval Office to the residence, pieces of paper. And there was no process for keeping track of it. And AIDS would comply because he was the president. But that meant that at the end of his presidency, things got stuffed in these boxes and just took the flight down with him to Palm Beach.
6: So the National Archives, which has demanded... This story, how good? Law, right? Would seem to have a few <laughs> so this is New
1: York Times Daily. Here. The story is called The FBI Search of Trump's Home. That, that, those are the details of why they're going after this guy. Like, how ridiculous is this guy? Waving the Kim Jong-un letters to guests, dinner guests. <laughs> he really got in there and just made it like um, his own thing. Or rather, he was, you know, dead set on changing the rules or, or breaking the status quo rather than changing it. Donald Trump, if anything, is one of the most interesting people not surprising he became president what a polarizing guy and let's let's not all forget the time we liked donald trump there was a time i used to love the apprentice (laughs) the whole setup you know we all want to be business people he was the business tycoon guy you know but fast forward to this what a wild story you know um flushing papers down they had to put stuff back with tape this is the president you know sometimes you i guess okay let me speak about it from this point of view, and please do not kill me. I saw there, that, that there's still beauty pageants, Miss Venezuela, Miss South Africa, Miss America, etc. Funny that we're speaking about those because Donald Trump owns Miss America, or is it Miss Universe? Anyway, I have an issue with manufacturing role models, If you if you follow. So I feel like those pageants... It's what they do. It's like setting a standard for what a a young woman should be should she reach public notoriety, for example. Um, And that has to do with look, how she speaks, occupation, the causes that uh, the woman or the people that enter pageants, you know, sort of um, are concerned with. And in the end, you know, you're creating or manufacturing, basically, a role model. So... Donald Trump is no role model, um, but it just shows that in the world we live in now, it's definitely very, very gray, and you don't have to worry about, you know, whether, you know, like, can you be president? I think anyone can be president. I just think the character at the point that you make it to wherever you think you're going uh, must have existed way before the title. So, Donald Trump was a wild, trust fund brash, like, everything we hate about him, he's always been. So interesting story from, you know, the Daily New York Times produced well, the sound design is impeccable. Um, Enjoy. Let's keep going.
9: When cruising shut down, Chili's world got really small. He spent months at home in Virginia, watching cruise after cruise get cancelled. Then, in November 2020, he started feeling off. He thought he had a urinary tract infection, and he went to his doctor. His doctor decided to check for prostate cancer. He ordered a PSA test. PSA readings over 10 often mean there's trouble.
0: My first uh, PSA test was 484. Yes, in fact, I had prostate cancer. Mine had spread throughout my entire body. It was in some 60 different places, including my lungs. Because I was a smoker for 56 years, they wanted to do a test to make sure I didn't have lung cancer. In fact, I had prostate cancer in the lungs.
9: Chili started chemo. Within a few months, he was also put on oxygen and had to go to respiratory therapy three times a week.
0: I will never be cancer-free, but it's under control because of the chemo that should, hopefully, keep everything in balance and the PSA doesn't go up. If I didn't have a future ahead where I could get back on my boats... I could get back at sea. Ah, I'm not sure how I would handle it. I'm happiest on a boat, on the water.
1: It's such a... Yo, just a heartwarming episode, you know. Vacationing in the time of COVID, the Daily New York Times. The reason I really love this story is, you know, it obviously starts, well, I started the clip at the point where 4th of March, 2020, everything starts getting locked down. Charlie, Charles Falls Jr., or known as Chili, um, then also subsequently finds out that he has prostate cancer in his lungs insane um obviously that would trouble you traveling in the time of covid obviously it being a respiratory disease vaccinations etc um yeah have a listen to the story i think the thing that brought me close to it was you know in that time of covid or lockdowns we all had to stop doing the thing we loved you know he speaks to there in that clip about just wanting to be on the boat and sailing, you know, for me, it was the same thing. You know, it felt like after years of probing, this was the opportunity for us as a business and me and my business partner and just friends, you know, we all thought we were going to make just big successes, the trajectory, this was the time and then kind of the world changes and then you have to kind of reframe. But what I like is a fighting spirit, a spirit that continues, you know, so, Charles Falls Jr., also known as Chili, really, you know, I find myself tearing up, to be honest, because we've all made sacrifices for the things we say we want, and hopefully we, you know, get a glimpse into that one day, um, and if there are any obstacles that kind of get you out of not being able to do that, I hope while you're still here in this one precious life, you know, that you get to express, you know, the, the passion or the Oh, the, the craft, you know, that you say keeps you alive, deep.
2: <laughs> At the beginning of the pandemic, the warning signs were there. People were isolated, stressed, and all too often, turning to alcohol as a way to escape their reality. There were little voices saying, this isn't real.
5: It's, uh, it's like being on holiday, you know, it's, it's lockdown. Um, who cares? I'm not going to see anybody today. I don't have
2: to be sober. Kathy Edge had always been a social drinker. But during that first lockdown, retired and living alone, booze became a habit.
5: The blurring between kind of enjoying it and feeling nice and it, it just being a thing that you needed to function... Um, that, that came on very quickly. Within months, her drinking had escalated. I think in two days, I would get through a litre of vodka and probably about four bottles of wine, minimum. You can get through that, and, you know, that would, that would floor most people. Didn't even feel drunk. All enjoyment had gone. This was just, you know, it, was, it had almost replaced how I refuelled myself. Um, that's what I needed just to exist.
2: Across the UK, alcohol sales boomed and drinking became a national coping mechanism. There were repeated warnings about the risks. Experts, including Dr Stephen Ryder, a liver specialist, sounded the alarm.
10: And that home drinking thing is the the key for me. If that continues, we will see more people running into trouble and far more people dying of it.
1: I had to sneak this in. Damn, I didn't Um, put it in the headlines for this week. But I have to speak about this. What things from lockdowns, you know, sort of carried on into your life now? So, for example, this deadly consequences of Britain's lockdown drinking. I think in South Africa, the same issue exists and probably at a higher level just because of, you know, the rates of gender based violence as well that exist in South Africa. It's so wild to think a thing that we were all doing so casually at home, like, oh, I'll just have a drink. I'm not going anywhere. I was seeing someone at the time and, you know, we're, on, we're in lockdown and for whatever reason, a homie of hers had like a plug for this, like, cider. So we had like cases and cases of cider. I used to drink that like I was drinking, I don't know, water. And I guess I don't have a addictive personality so it didn't, you know, the consequences weren't as bad for me but I can just imagine people with, less of an internal, I don't know, governor or an internal constitution and maybe how they experience and what they went through. Um, I also just in general, you know, we'll be at the bar. This is not judgment. This is just, you know, our observation. I do notice, and maybe when I, we were younger, we also looked the same way, but like youngins is drinking, man. I just turned 30. I'm turning 31 this year in about a month. Um but, yeah, young be drinking, getting carried out. And not just young men, which usually is the, the issue, but young women too, you know. So I just wanted to, you know, sound the alarm. I'm definitely aware of that. We try to do what we can, you know, to help water, you know, have someone walk people to their cars, et cetera. But it's a problem that exists, and I hope to any one of your loved ones, they don't have to experience the worst of it, you know. And even you listening... I hope you're able to be present in a way, you know, that like how your brain works, how addiction works, and just, you know, being able not to, you know, avoid these things, but just, I don't know, rein them in, you know? Yeah, just wanted to run that quick. The story, Today in Focus Deadly Consequence of Britain's Lockdown Drinking. You play it and listen to it, and it'll just sound like, things you know, people you know. It's crazy. Lots and prayers.
8: Where are we catching you today? Where are you speaking from?
11: So I am in the Travis County Courthouse in Austin uh, for the trial of Alex Jones, who is on trial here for defaming Scarlett Lewis and Neil Heslin, whose son Jesse, a six-year-old, was killed at Sandy Hook.
8: And Elizabeth, remind us of Alex Jones's backstory and
11: how
4: this trial came about.
11: Alex Jones is a kind of er conspiracy broadcaster. He got his start in the 90s here in Austin where he was a sort of oddball on community access TV and later on a radio show. But he started broadcasting more and more dark theories around the Oklahoma City bombing in the mid-'90s, saying that that was planned by the government, the same for 9-11. But he took a particularly dark turn in 2012 when he said that the Sandy Hook shooting was a conspiracy, a plot by the government as a pretext to confiscate Americans' firearms, and he named individual family members as
8: so-called crisis actors who were complicit in the plot. Right, and that has had real consequences for those parents, as you've told us in the past on the show.
11: Absolutely. Alex Jones has an enormous audience, and that audience increased exponentially after he began talking about Sandy Hook. And in that audience of tens of millions of people, there were inevitably some people who truly believed what he was saying and targeted the families as liars and as frauds and people participating in an imagined mass shooting for profit. They accused them of faking their children's deaths or that the children never existed. And they began to approach them um, first online by making accusations against them and tormenting them. And then they began to confront them on the street and in public. Mm. So after years of this kind of torment, finally, in mid-2018, the families of 10 Sandy Hook victims lodged a civil defamation suit against Alex Jones for the lies he had been spreading for those years. And what happens next? There were four separate lawsuits filed by the families in Texas and in Connecticut. Over the course of the preparation for the defamation trials, Jones repeatedly stonewalled. He withheld testimony. He failed to submit financial records and business records that were ordered by the court. He built a tremendously successful business over the years by selling products alongside his conspiracy broadcasts. Jones stonewalls on the discovery process in all of those cases for nearly four years. At the end of last year, judges in both states in all four cases ruled him liable by default, meaning he lost. It was a sweeping victory for the families. That set the stage for three trials for damages, of which this is the first. And in all of those trials, the jury's sole responsibility is to decide how much Alex Jones must pay these families for defaming them. So, Elizabeth, tell me about the parents. Who are these
1: This asshole should pay pay pay, know, pay, 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 yeah. pay, pay the money, dog. You know, while I was listening to that, and I played it, you know, sometime during the week, enragement drives engagement. That's something that, that we all know. You know, um, Facebook has obviously popularized that, you know, allegedly, (laughs) um, just like putting ads or putting product where the most engagement is the most reach, the most comments, the most likes, you know, you're allowed to say whatever you want, please, you know, free. I'm, I'm here for free speech. But whenever you, you know, I, I think we, we, we have free speech for the most part. I don't think there's anything I can say, obviously, within reasonable means, you know. Obviously, not harming anyone else, you know. If the thing I'm saying is not harming, then I'd say that's probably the best version of free speech, okay. Um, but, you know, the more platforms start growing that are run by individuals you're just sitting at home and you've got a huge following on your TikTok, on your vlog, on your uh, podcast, on your whatever, your socials. You know, I was even seeing there's like podcast episodes on like LinkedIn influencers, which is nasty, you know, because it's like who, uh, who died and made you a prefect. <laughs> but anyway you can say what you want to say, but we need to understand that there are consequences. And I think a lot of people will learn the hard way when it comes to this, you know, um, famously in South Africa, there's different tabloids over the years, you know, and once one dies, another just will pop up. So it's not even about who it is now. It's just about that the principle can exist. I hope all these people who disinform, you know, find their day in court and hopefully, you know, going into the future. We find a space for more, you know, they say if, you're, if you don't read, you're uninformed, but if you do read, you're misinformed. And it's just like, there has to be a better middle ground between all of that. Um, and just like, what is real? The fact that that is, you know, debatable, I'm glad that in this episode there's stuff to do with Donald Trump, because what is real? He made everything um, questionable. And I think and I'll, and I'll forever thank and hate him for that. But, yeah, Alex Jones, I think, you know, you've seen the clips. I just wanted to just give you the background. I always think it's important, you know. And this speaks to a bigger issue, because don't forget, we like to emulate America, the Americas, Europe. So in the next few months, and I'm calling it, expect something like this from one of the big platforms in our space, because... I think, like, with one thing, once you get more successful, you start to lose nuance, maybe, um, and understanding and commentary and words. So hopefully, uh, the people that have seen things like this happen learn from it, but if you don't, you deserve everything that comes. What a sad story. And, I mean, when you get into the details of how these families had to live, he made them, he was reporting that it was actors and it was fake, and just imagine I wish he would go to jail. Money isn't enough. He needs to do a perp walk. One more story. Thank you so much, we keep running it.
12: After that first time, I was like, okay, what just happened to me? Was I dreaming or what? And then it started every month.
10: And all of a sudden, I heard the window slam open and what sounded like something enter so like landed in the bedroom with a loud thump and i started hearing like this these weird like clicking and like kind of chittering noises in that room
12: and then i felt something kind of pet my head it was oh god i could see the arm
9: sleep paralysis It can be one of the most frightening phenomena to experience while sleeping. And one of the reasons it's so scary, you feel completely awake.
12: You know, something's in your room. You don't know if it's in the corner. You don't know where it is, because it's dark in the room. And you're like, it's something here, and it's coming to get me.
10: And then I heard what sounded like uh, someone or something Uh, kind of standing up in a tub of water. So there was water, like, dripping off into the tub. And then I heard the dripping leave the bathroom, come onto the landing at the bottom of the stairs. I could hear the dripping coming up the stairs.
12: And all of a sudden he turned around and his face fell off from human form to demon, like right in front of me.
9: That terror is something that many people who've had sleep paralysis share. And the fear can be compounded by being physically frozen, unable
12: to move,
9: trapped somewhere between waking and sleep,
12: between life and death. And when I opened my mouth to say something, I couldn't say anything. My legs would move. I mean, I couldn't even wiggle my toe. Nothing would move. So I'm laying here, and I am petrified. Whatever it is I think is coming toward me, I don't want to see
4: it. My chest felt so heavy, and I felt this impending warmth just kind of suffocating me.
10: And then I heard it rushing towards the bedroom door, and just as it got to the door, I felt something hammer punching me as hard as they could right on my heart.
9: Your heart's pounding, right? I had to know more about these mystifying and disturbing experiences. and thankfully,
3: I found an expert. One day I, you know, I was sleeping and I found myself paralyzed, you know shockingly, and I thought, what do I do? You know I can't move, I, I can't speak. And I tried to scream. That was my first reaction. You know I went, "Dad, mom, but just the word wouldn't come out of my mouth. It, they were just stuck there. Balan Jalal knows sleep paralysis intimately. He's had these frightening episodes since he was young. I start having this feeling that some ominous evil presence was in my bedroom. And this feeling escalated with each second and it was got more and more terrifying until I suddenly felt this creature was on my chest, strangling me. I saw my legs flying up and down. I literally saw that, you know, it's a full-fledged hallucination. And I thought I was going to die, you know, it was shocking and he thinks they may have been sparked by his difficult childhood. My parents are Kurdish from Iraq, and they escaped the war in Iraq and came to Bulgaria when I was born. So I was born in Bulgaria, and then they moved to Denmark um, in the hope of a better life. So we went to a refugee camp. So I was in a refugee camp initially, but luckily I got out of that camp, but we, I grew up in a sort
1: of ghetto-like area. So Dr. Balan Jalal, what a nice name, Balan Jalal. So sleep paralysis basically is like when you wake too early from a dream and you wake, and your waking and sleeping brains collide. Many see vivid, terrifying visions and feel unable to move. This is a sleep disorder that more than 20% of us will experience in our lifetime, yet it is not well understood. Crazy, right? I think I've had it once before. You wake up and you kind of, I guess I didn't have the, 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 the theater of all the other like, demons and being chased or whatever but i just couldn't move but i was in the room and i could almost feel my eyes moving it felt like i was paralyzed you know my eyes could move i could look around them but i couldn't move my hand my leg nothing i could hear my heart beating you know so dr balan jalal you know went from suffering from sleep paralysis to becoming an expert on the cure so this is from a podcast called are you sleeping you know i love vox creative and It's for a company called Mattress Firm. You know, we're obviously working in this space, making different products. And it's just lovely to see things like a mattress company making a podcast about sleep, right? Easy connection. Um, We're going to make different products coming into the future, so it's exciting. Have a listen to this. Um, I think it was, like, really, 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 really good. And, yeah, just listen to the season in general. Next week, I'm going to share on, like, financial Well being and stuff that I listened to, but this was good. And I hope in the end you are sleeping. Okay. So that's the end of NMMU episode 37 36 or 37. Uh, This is shocking, but we're moving. Thank you for all the listens. I appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I put my back into it, you know, and everything, you know, I went through. I really, just looking back at the list now, I'm really so happy I did. You know tune in next time, tell a friend about it, um, stream our next product, whatever it is we make, buy whatever it is we sell, <laughs> eat whatever it is we cook, you know, show love, um, have a good week people and also don't forget this is available on Apple, Google, just search no More Money University wherever podcasts are available, sending you big love, it's your boy, we are out